0: episode number 17 with Mr. John Rao, one of my favorite people at Gilman. How you doing, John?
1: Uh I I return the compliment. Thank you, sir. I'm doing well.
0: How are you? I'm doing all right. We're just back from a little bit of a break back in school. A uh, little but, bit of a break. Yeah. Uh, students are a little sluggish right now. We're trying to mm-hmm. How how was your um form meeting with the seniors. What's what's the vibe mm, with the we were, seniors? We
1: were missing a lot of seniors. We were
0: missing a lot yeah, of juniors yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, this is what happens. They're just ready for another mm, break. They should have been there. They should have <laughs> been there. So much so much valuable information was sent out over the airwave there, so they missed it.
0: Yeah. Well, I asked my seniors today, or maybe it was my juniors, but I said, what is, what is the vibe in your class? How is... Because as a teacher, I'm coming. I was telling a friend this yesterday. I go to every class, and it's my favorite. It's like going to your favorite class every day as a teacher. Because I'm prepared, I'm ready to go. I love this stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. They don't. Feel, some of them don't feel like that. So what? What is? <laughs> they don't. Oh. Oh no. come on. They're like Mr. Scott's English class. Like, <laughs> got to read Walt Whitman with Mr. Scott today. Oh, at that 8 would be like
1: Disney World to me. I know. But you know that's who we are
0: that's the biggest hurdle for me I think as a teacher to wrap my brain around how you couldn't love reading mm-hmm. this poem
1: I Walt know. Whitman but that's part of our job isn't it to get them to feel that way to get them to love it that that's, is that is the job I feel like I I, I do that a lot like I feel the resistance and I think mm, let me go at this another way because by God you are going to love Walt Whitman
0: but by the time you're done with me yep <laughs>
1: But then maybe they don't, you know, so, but then the next thing they love. Yeah. There's so much that you do in the junior year in English that, and I say that at the beginning of the year, if you don't love a certain unit or if there's something, you know, you're not really digging, wait, you know, hang in there and do well, but something else is going to come along that's really going to excite you, I I feel, I
0: think. Mm -hmm. Don't dismiss English altogether just because you don't like this one poet, you know.
1: Right, right. It's all valuable. And there's a reason I'm teaching it. And there's a reason I want you to read it. But I'm not demanding that you love it. I want you to discover it on your own and find the, the people and the authors and the, the works that you really do love.
0: What's worked really well for you this year in your junior English class in terms of the curriculum, anything anything, home run so far? Hit a home run in, in that course? Uh,
1: they've just been particularly great this year. Really? They've been really receptive and really eager and fun. And they've they've given it the the college try at every juncture. Um, we've done really interesting stuff. We've done a lot of short stories and uh, all-American literature, of course. We've done a musical. We just did Stephen Sondheim's Assassins, which they, they were all over that. How'd that,
0: how'd that one go?
1: Oh, great. I mean, I I say to them, you know, I, I don't think many junior English teachers are teaching assassins. Mm -hmm. It's a little rough. It's out there. It's a concept musical, you know, and, and we talk about what that is. So they learn what that is. Um, I say it's Sondheim. So it's, it's intricate. It's, it's wordy. It's, it's fantastic, but you know, but they, 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 boy, they came right along. They loved, they loved it, and they're writing their own assassin scene hmm. that they're going to insert into the play. So, as a, as a, you know, for people assignment. who who
0: don't know Assassins, what is that? What is that about?
1: Assassins is a um, musical by Stephen Sondheim and John Weidman, um that takes a look at um, not all, but most of the the people who tried to assassinate U.S. presidents. Um, obviously, Lee Harvey Oswald and John Wilkes Booth are the prominent assassins. But then there are people like Sarah Jane Moore and Lynette Frome and uh, Charles Guiteau. Charles and, Guiteau. Charles Guiteau and uh, uh, Giuseppe Zangara. I mean, they, they're, they all have fascinating stories, Sam Bick, um, about how and why they wanted to assassinate a president. Four were successful, the others weren't. So it puts them all together... In, in a concept musical way it starts at a shooting gallery you know like at a fair mm-hmm. where the proprietor says come here and kill the president mm-hmm. um and and so so the my students were pretty like they'd never re- read anything like that before or seen anything like that
0: before so. do you guys go deeply into the history of each of these assassins or is it more like like how much history work do you do in terms of who Charles Guiteau was, for instance?
1: Well, I feel like the musical kind of takes that on unto itself. And I sort of treat it like if you were going to see this in in the theater, you might not have done that research. But Sondheim and Weidman did that research, and they've put what's necessary into the play. Um, I do give them some biographical um, sketches of, Mm -hmm. of some of the assassins, but
0: yeah i think i told you that i was reading this book i forget exactly what it's called but it actually started when i did the podcast with who was it brooks matthews and we were talking about um i was saying that i was interested in james garfield i didn't know much about james garfield and i picked up this book about his assassination and yeah you were telling me learning about charles guiteau and that is one disturbed character oh
1: he's an incredible character in the play. I mean, he's just, and, and what Sondheim and Weidman do is they, um, everybody time travels. So they put uh, assassins together, concept musical, who could not possibly have lived at the same time and give them scenes together and songs together. Hmm. And so uh, Guiteau, you know, at one point tries to seduce Sarah Jane Moore, who tried to assassinate Gerald Ford in the 70s. So they really mix it up and, and play with, and I think the the students thought that was, very inventive, which it is, and and unusual, and they hadn't encountered anything like I that. I didn't before.
0: know Ford was, ass- or tried to be assassinated. There were
1: two attempts, and and really? Frome, and they were within like two or three months of each other.
0: But I think Ford did. Ford only serve one term too. He was yeah. only there for four years. Yeah.
1: Well, he was. He came in. You know, he replaced um, Nixon after Nixon resigned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 I didn't know about him, but this gateau figure i've recommended this book to a lot of people because i mean he went to the white house every single day and this was when Mm. you know there was a line out the door for the president to select who would be in his cabinet and and everyone was coming in and interviewing i mean presidents back then would spend hours every day just talking to people and seeing who would be you know the uh, foreign relations with France, and this is what this guy You wanted, wanted to be ambassador to France. You want to be ambassador to France, yeah? And he and he came to the White House every single day, and finally they were like, "Look, man, you're not it. We're not selecting you. Go away." And he just developed this <laughs> re- resentment, and he was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill Garfield."
1: He couldn't believe they didn't choose him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Right. And he was an author. You know, he was a published author, and he had. a preacher and i mean he's just a fascinating person
0: yeah they go they go deep into his background in in this book um so i would i -hmm. gotta get the title but if you just look it up it's you know james garfield's assassination and it goes into how and the funny and the funny slash crazy thing is and we talked with beth knapp about this too is it wasn't it wasn't gateau really who like actually led to the cause of garfield's death it was the doctors and you know people who didn't believe in antiseptic were sticking their hands in his wound when he was shot and that was actually i think Cato said i didn't kill the president the doctors did oh which just wild um Mm -hmm. but i do want to get to the books you brought in today because that's one of the things i want to do on this podcast is have people just recommend books like i have Friends who text me all the time, Jake, you're an English teacher. Give me a book recommendation. Right, right. And I'm like, well, I could give you a lot of book recommendations. It depends on what you like and what you're into. Maybe you can watch five minutes of the podcast. And, and you know, John Rao, he's got a ton of books that he <laughs> loves to read. So
1: yes, he does.
0: What um what are you reading or what maybe would you recommend to someone?
1: Well, there? you know, I mean, there were a thousand ways I could have done this. You just said, bring a book that maybe has had an impact on you. I mean, you know, I could have brought in something I was reading last week, but I sort of went back to my own personal canon, I guess. Um, so, and, and you know, usually I respond to this question as, you know, as, as being a writer myself. And, you know, when, you know, as a writer, I've been asked what what authors influence you. And, and so it was kind of and more than I have been asked as a teacher, what writers influence you or uh, make you want to teach them, I guess. Um, and they're so related, right? The, the authors that really influenced me as a, as a fiction writer maybe by default became a lot of the writers that I wanted to, to introduce into the classroom. Um, and that's exciting because, you know, there's just such a double layer of meaning in terms of how they impact me as as a writer long time ago informative years and how they have have come into my teaching world you know mm-hmm. um and and that's true for for both of these and this is um you know the complete stories of truman capote uh an enormous influence on me as a, as a writer and i have brought him into both my senior and junior classrooms um when I teach uh, fiction writing with seniors, um, I bring him in for different reasons uh, because I think that you can learn so much about the craft by reading some of his work. Um, when I bring him into the junior classroom, you know we're looking at we're looking at literature not so much as as um, I mean we do talk about craft, but not as a way to model your own fiction writing because we're we're following a whole year's curriculum of of American writers and what, and, and related to American history and, um, you know, all that sort of thing. And I do some chronological work actually. So, um, y- you know, the, the story, of Christmas Memory, I think is a story that, how could everybody not want to read that? It's mm. just an amazing, amazing story. It's, it, you know, it just influenced me so deeply when I was really starting to write fiction in earnest and I just went back and read, I had read Breakfast at Tiffany's and some of the other stuff, but I really got into his stories and there aren't that many because he didn't, you know, he he died at 59 and, and he didn't write much of the last 20 years of his life really. But the early stories and his greatest work was young work.
0: His most popular story is Breakfast at Tiffany's, correct?
1: Well, I think his most famous book is In Cold Blood, but that's, oh, yeah. that's you know, because he invented kind of a new form of a novel, right? It's fiction and it's journalism and it's a hybrid. and um, That one is crazy. It's, and, it's, yeah. It's and I think book. you
0: actually influenced me to read that my first year here at Gilman, In Cold Blood. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That yeah, was... it's
1: tough. But um, I don't teach that. but. Yeah. Our colleague yep. does. Uh, but the stories are what, you know, for for me, are, are really what Capote did best.
0: When did, you, when did you pick up Capote for the first time?
1: Hmm. I think I probably read Breakfast at Tiffany's when I was in high school um, for the first time. And then I've read it many times since. Um, I didn't discover a Christmas memory, actually, until I was, you know, an adult and really starting to want to write it just escaped me. But when it, when I, I actually heard somebody read it in a sort of um, seasonal Christmas reading program that I went to. And I remember he, exactly the place he started, because it's a very long story, but he started reading it at a certain point. Mm. And it makes, he gave a little background on what had happened previously, but he read at a certain point and read to the end of the And that's always what I do my class, I ask them to read up to that point, and then I I read the rest of oh, it. Cool. Um, it, it just because it's so powerful to me, and I, you know, as a as an actor, for an actor, whatever, I I love that interpretive reading work too, and I sort of take on the characters a little bit and that that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really need anything because it's just incredibly powerful prose as it is.
0: What um what what is really the basis or maybe like a brief summary of that just just I, well, I think I have read it but not not in yeah. a while this is a perfect time to to pick it up though.
1: Yeah, it is anytime really but um yeah. it's really a a very autobiographical story. I mean a, a nakedly autobiographical story about his relationship with um a distant cousin that he had when he was a child. He was like 7 uh growing up in in Alabama and uh she was an elderly woman but um they were very very close they they had an extraordinarily close relationship um she she was um I don't know I know what they would have said at the time but she had huh, I guess they would have called her simple she, you know she she was just a um had some mental deficiencies, Mm -hmm. I guess, I should Mm -hmm. say, Um, but was a loving, wonderful, deeply religious person, and she just transformed his world and was the first person to actually get Truman Capote as a child. She understood that he was different. She understood he had these gifts, and he was fascinated by her. And they just spent all their time together. And so this story is a fictionalized but really autobiographical story of, of that experience and how he and and what it's like when he loses her. Mm. Um I think I think those descriptions of loss in the story are are some of the most touching and powerful descriptions of loss in fiction mm. that I've because he doesn't dwell on the loss, he dwells on what she meant to him. This relationship. It's, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just incredibly beautiful. I never get tired of it. And I sometimes when I read it in in class, you know, and I finish it and there's just this hush.
0: Mm.
1: There's like you can feel kids holding back the emotion of it.
0: Mm.
1: And one time this girl, oh I loved her, she just Burst into tears. I mean, she just, it was like (laughs) somebody flipped a switch and she just burst into tears. Wow. And it was so great. I mean, you know, she had so gotten it. Yeah. That it just moved her so much. And I I just, I will never forget that moment. Most of them hold it. They're stoic and they hold it in. Yeah, yeah. Which I can't always do even as many times as as I've read it. But um it's power. I mean, that's you know the power of of great prose will do that. What
0: is I'm curious now what that point is in the story where you pick up reading, midway point, or is it just hmm. like where what exactly is happening at that point that makes it su- such a special moment hmm. to start?
1: Well, the story is is fairly episodic, which makes it easier to pick up. Um, that at a place like that. I just give it a a little bit of, of context and no, I can't find it. um I don't start at the real sad part. um Yeah, it's just it's just deeper into their relationship and it's it's at Christmas. Mm-hmm. um And then it kind of jumps when they send Truman or the character Buddy, as he's called the story, to military school where clearly he does not
0: thrive um being truman capote yeah um yeah truman capote what what was so special about him as a person i know he had like off the charts iq right i mean he was just super intelligent and um insightful uh, and like what 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 really was it about him for people who don't know much about truman capote
1: just an incredible gift for the most minute and detailed psychological observations of of human beings yeah. the good and the bad and the ability to record that in such such precise like almost granular descriptions i mean they're just it just You know, you just have to look at it to know what it is. You can't miss it. It's that clear. Hmm. Just that gift of describing in language. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How did he, so beginning with fiction, how did he pick up the idea for In Cold Blood and, and, and pursue that, such a different craft of writing? How did what inspired him to do that? Because that that like changed his entire life. Writing in Cold Blood, right? I mean, he moved to Kansas, right, for years and spent all of his time and put all of his efforts into writing in Cold Blood and researching and living that life.
1: Yeah, and took Harper Lee with him, his old childhood friend. Yeah, um, he saw a small. it was just looking in the New York, reading New York Times one day. Saw a small little piece on this family that had been massacred in in Kansas and just couldn't let go of it. Thought it it spoke to him. It sparked something in him. Um, You know, it's interesting because he was a fiction writer and yet he didn't really approach In Cold Blood as fiction. I mean, it's, you know, now we've seen many examples of what he... He did because he really broke a mold there. Because it's, it's docu. It's a documentary. It's journalism written with a fictional glaze. I mean, it's and it's and he takes liberties, but it's it's the story that happened. And I, I mean, it's just a hybrid of so many different modes of writing. The
0: combination of such a shocking story with his writing abilities is it's an amazing. It's an amazing book. Yeah. It's kind um, of
1: unlike any other
0: book. Really. It really is. Yeah. And I thought the movie Capote was well done too. Oh yeah. About that about that yes. story, right?
1: Yes, with the late great Phil Seymour Hoffman. He
0: did an... I thought he did an excellent job.
1: Very, very fine
0: actor. I mean, I don't know enough. No, I he's don't know great. what you know about acting and I
1: thought
0: the, he was I thought he was great. Yeah. yeah. It's a good film. So, interesting. Truman Capote. Mm, yeah. Uh, Chris... Christmas memory. A Christmas memory. Okay, I'll have to read it. And that's a that's a great recommendation to start off with.
1: Uh, I think everybody should read it. <laughs> yeah,
0: love it. Um, John, how did you start teaching English? How did you get in? How did you get to Gilman?
1: Uh, sort of by accident, kind of um, teaching English, sort of by accident. But I came to Gilman uh, 16 years ago as the writer in residence, and I was I was only supposed to be here for one year.
0: Was it called the Tickner Fellowship? The Tickner
1: then? Fellowship, yeah, it still is. It's a very fine fellowship, and I was very honored to to be asked to come. I was living in New York, and and so I came down here and sublet my apartment in New York, and thought, well, you know, in June I'll I'll be back, and it just it just didn't it worked out differently. It worked out that um, at the end of that year they they asked me if if I would stay on for a second year as as the writer in residence and. I had had a really good experience and so I said yes and um so I, I did and then and then they asked me at the end of that year if if I would take on the theater you know directing the theater program in the upper school because the the person who was doing it um had gotten married and and he didn't want to spend that kind of time mm-hmm. doing anymore so, so they added that and then they then they made me permanent faculty and said So so you also have to teach English. Mm -hmm. You can still teach fiction writing, and uh, but but we want you to teach junior English and direct the the musical. So that was a that was kind of a cool package. So you almost fell into teaching. I did. I I mean I hadn't ever really thought. I mean I loved English as a student as a kid, and I thought I could do it. But I mean I I had to you know really learn on the job how to teach or to be a junior English teacher. So, and you
0: were a writer beforehand, yeah. and, and that just led you to the Tickner Writing Fellowship. Right. And... I had
1: published my book, and, and um, then that gave me opportunities to apply for fellowships and teaching positions, and that's what I was doing. And and Gilman, you know, made the offer, and I came here, and still here. The
0: rest is history. I know.
1: <laughs> it's a very improbable story.
0: But, yeah, but, yeah. I mean, it's amazing that you found this place and you started to love teaching for whatever reason. I mean, you know,
1: yes, all of the, all of the above. You're right.
0: What was, um, what was it like as a writer for you? You, You've talked a little bit about how you've always loved English. I've always loved English growing Mm. up and, you know, what what drew you to writing as a career?
1: Well, I think uh, what drew me to writing as a career was what drew me to writing as a kid. I mean, I just, I loved stories I loved storytelling. I loved reading stories, being read to, and then I wanted to do it myself. You know, it was just a reflexive reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, Not everybody who loves to read wants to write, but I did. And so, you know, I also wanted to be on the stage, which I was. And then, so I just, you know, I had these passions and
0: we on the stage growing up high school you, uh, you, all of that 7 years old 7 years old on the stage
1: Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh Oh wow my debut <laughs> Yes indeed that is awesome Yeah I remember that so vividly like just walking out on stage at the age of 7 years old in my little red sweater little blue tie and Yeah there was a, a you know like a 6th grader playing Winnie the Pooh in a big bear bear costume <laughs> It was great. I love. I mean, it was yeah. like, it just was magical for me. Yeah,
0: I mean, you fell in love with it at that young of a of an age. That's, Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, that's that's almost a miracle in itself. Is you know that that just almost fell into your lap at seven years old.
1: Yeah, but I really pursued. it. I mean, I really I wanted to do this. You know, mm-hmm. it and it's sort of like with with reading. It's, I think it's when I started encountering stories and having books read to me or reading books. My instinct was, oh, I want to, I want to keep reading them, but I, I want to write too. And when I was taken to see a play for the first time, probably at the age of five or six, it wasn't just I love the experience of being in the audience and watching a play. I want to do that. I want to be up on the stage as well. Yeah,
0: and that, I've yeah. talked about it before on the podcast, and that was a similar experience for me as a lacrosse player so yeah, it's it just sound, a lot, i was just thinking that it that, sounds exactly yeah. the same is as, as a little kid you go to a sporting event i went to a lacrosse game my dad introduced me to lacrosse and yeah. i was like i want to be i want to be out there i want to score goals out and
1: there. not everybody does that right some people just love being a spectator or a reader and that's great thank goodness but sometimes right it Something about being at the experience makes you want to be a deep in a deeper part of the experience.
0: Be a part of it.
1: Yeah, be doing it. Yeah,
0: and even to this day, I mean, I like watching sports on TV, but not really. I would rather, I would much rather be out there doing it myself. I I don't even, I don't even want to. I don't even really want to. I appreciate it. I respect it. I respect other athletes. I like. You know watching games but i would much rather be a part of it it's the fun that's the fun part yeah
1: me. yeah i know but it's kind of like teaching right when like you i know you're you know, i mean you're a reader we talk about books all the time and isn't it exciting that your love of reading can be transferred into into teaching and that you can you can impart that to students
0: oh yeah I that's mean,
1: what's so great about
0: it's not it's not really even a job for me it's yeah. like i wake up and i'm talking talking to kids about stuff i'm introducing them to things I that i like to do i know Like here you go this is what i this is what i was doing last night and no one was telling me to do it
1: right like, <laughs> i know right and that hopefully that they will they will have a transformative experience because of of what you're giving them and is and that's the best part too when I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, I and mean, students are generally really great. But then there's every now and then a, an experience where you know, you have, put something in front of of a of a student, and and, and we're talking in our our students are young; they're sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, mm-hmm. and and something, and they get it, and you see them get it, and you know that something has been tripped mm-hmm. in 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 their mechanism, and that's just that they will never forget that. And it's, maybe it's not what you and I are, are, are saying about it, or it's just, it's just the fact of it, right? Truman Capote doesn't need me to teach him. A Christmas memory doesn't need what I bring to it.
0: Mm-mm.
1: All I need to do is put it in front of them.
0: Put it in the syllabus.
1: And it teaches, it, the work teaches them. I just shepherd it, you know? But I
0: think your passion for it and the way that you just explain the story um, it rubs off on it rubs off of who anyone who's yeah, listening right I um, mean yes
1: i hope i mean i it, it, sometimes I feel like I need to uh, rein my passion in because
0: Oh, so do i yeah, yeah um, um like, slow down mr scott it's right. eight a, it's eight am relax
1: <laughs> <laughs> but to, I'm always reminding myself to let them discover it on their own and and don't oversell it or um you know, I I want to put it in front of them. I want them to have that experience of of discovery that I had.
0: Mm-hmm. But the way that you describe it just naturally m- makes me, and I think it will make other people who just watch that want to go read that story. And that's part of the reason that I, so. that I I asked you to bring something in that has influenced you or that you like, because yeah. I think it, I think it will rub off on people. I think people will read at Christmas story or Christmas miracle because memory. of Christmas
1: memory. <laughs> yeah. Christmas memory. I mean, those, there's a Christmas story, story, there's Christmas miracle, there's Christmas carol, Christmas carol, right? Of course, Christmas carol. Yep. There are lots of, lots of things. Man. Yeah, but it's a good one.
0: Um. So the musical, I've, I've seen your musicals. They're unbelievable. Oh, and, thank you. Sir. And I remember like I, I would be working out here at Gilman my first couple of years or I'd be on campus for whatever reason. And your car would still be there at like nine,
1: <laughs> nine at night, 10, eat,
0: midnight, ten, yeah. midnight. You guys work very hard on those shows, and it yeah. definitely pays off because they're there's something else for high school kid to get high school kids to respond like that and buy in and act like that. it's really cool, really cool to see,
1: yeah. Of course we didn't get to do it last year. You know yeah. we we had a great show through the middle of March, but that's that was every theater kid. In America, practically, mm-hmm. um, it was heartbreaking. I mean, it's all heartbreaking, but it, you know, very, very sad for kids to have lost their their shows that they worked so hard on it that means so much to them. So,
0: that's your favorite time of the year, though, is when you're you're directing the musical. It's... I
1: mean, it's it's a lot of work. Um, our colleague here today, who who um, has been with me. For so long, uh, the wonderful Cesare Cicante and um, our, our engineer here today. But Cesare and I have had a long working relationship on making things for the musical. And he's indispensable to me. I didn't get to work with him last year because it, it it got, you know, shut down before it was time for us to put our things together that we always do. But
0: Before it even started? You guys had come out with...
1: Yeah, we had two months of rehearsal.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you were were in it.
1: Oh, we were very, very in it. That's sad. Yeah, yeah.
0: So how how did you, when you first got to Gilman and you were put in charge of the musical as the director, how did you get kids to, how did you figure out how to get kids to respond and do what you were asking and put together a show like the ones that you do put together? What what did that all take? I know it takes time, but I've never been been a part of a musical. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know what it might take to, or at least, you know, some semblance of what it might take to put together a decent lacrosse team. But I (laughs) I don't know. I I have no idea about, you know, how you motivate 16, 15, 16, 17-year-olds to put on a show like that and have the discipline and everything it takes.
1: Well, it's, you know, it's educational theater. I mean, it's, it. it's not, I and mean, there's so many things I have to teach them from the ground up once they're in the show that, you know, if I were directing in a regional theater, those professional actors would come in and they've got all the package and they have all the training and they have all that. And then, you know, but kids don't have that. So that's part of it is, is, is you're teaching as you're directing. And it, that's a lot, I mean, that's, it's difficult to, Mm -hmm. to do that. And, and kids come in with very, at at very different levels of being able to, to do it. But, you know, you want them in there because you want to teach them how to do it. And then, you know, if I have a a kid who's in the show as a ninth grader, um, really a beginner, but if they stay in it and by the time they're a senior, you know, they've got some skills and, and. They know how to employ those skills mm. to be in a show,
0: so you start out when they come in ninth grade, you start out teaching them really just the basics, and then, as they stay in the program, they don't even need to review or rehearse the the basic skills when they're juniors and seniors. You can kind of just put them into more uh... well, they know the deal, and the
1: process the process of doing it is the is the teacher, really I mean. This is what happens at rehearsal, and this this is what happens at a dance rehearsal, and this is what happens when you work with the musical director one on one. I mean, they learn what what it how it all gets put together by by doing things um, separately and individually, and mm-hmm. the, so there's a you know, every step of the process is a teaching tool, mm-hmm. and I'm very respectful of that and very uh, aware of 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 that
0: all built on top of each other yeah, yeah. it
1: really is It's scaffolded you know yep. um but that applies to to them you know as ninth graders or seniors because even seniors who have done a show they still have a great deal to learn and every show is different right mm-hmm. and even for me as a director i feel like every time i start directing a show I, it feels like i'm doing it for the first time because every show is is really its own thing and you've got to take this approach with certain things for this show and that was different than what you did last year and you've got to do this this material requires a certain tone or a certain a way of staging it that's going to make sense so so it's just every it's always a different deal Mm.
0: how do you select a show like as we're kind of moving through the year are you just on the lookout for the Perfect show for that year, or what? What goes into actually choosing? All right, we're gonna we're gonna reveal this as our yeah. 2021 spring show.
1: I mean, so much goes into it. Um, I, you know, I sort of always I'm very aware of who I have and and what what kids w- will match certain shows, and and can I cast it, and um, do I have skill kids with skill sets to be able to do a certain difficult show when we did, we did, um, the last show we did was crazy for you, which is an enormous dance piece. Um, but I knew I had some, some pretty significant senior talent. I actually had junior and senior talent. Um, and I, I kind of felt like, you know, I had, I had kids who could do it and they did and they were, they were terrific. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, if in a year where you're not as certain of maybe you lose a bunch of seniors the year before, Um, To college, obviously, um, you know, you might have to choose something that is a little less demanding, but still is a great educational show, you know, that they can learn the craft.
0: Well, it, it really does. The more you talk about it to someone who doesn't know really anything, I, I just show up and appreciate and, you know, say this is amazing.
1: Well, that's how I would be at a lacrosse game. But
0: it's at, the the more you're talking about it, it sounds like, okay, we lost these seniors last year. We have these freshmen coming in. They're good in these situations, and they have these skill sets. We have to figure out a way to put this group of 40 guys on a lacrosse team or 35 guys or whatever it is into the right spots so that we can have success. It's, it's the same type of like direct, like being a director, but it, it sounds very similar to what you're.
1: Well, it's part of any um, academic institution, right? Is it's, it's a finite time you have with athletes or actors or seniors. I I mean, even, you know, my hero, Roy Williams, you know, in, in Chapel Hill, he's got kids for a certain amount of time and increasingly, you know, kids are not staying all four years on on a on a basketball team in college, for lots of reasons. And um, you know, you work with people that you have when you have them, and get the best out of them, and hope that they take what you give them onto their next their next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that... it's wonderful to be able to grow a student from a ninth grader all the way through twelfth grade, That's... whether it's on the in lacrosse the cross or theater. That's probably the coolest part yeah, is you're yeah. seeing
0: them when they come out of middle school and then you're seeing them when they're about to go to college it's a totally different person almost
1: and you have that perspective as a coach or a director of of that growth right um and and that's what's wonderful to see is they've really learned
0: yeah that's pretty I mean, that's pretty rare if you're not a coach or a director of something you don't you don't get to see that even roy williams he's one and done it's like these you know, days these yeah. days it's you meet them They play for you and then they're in the NBA. It's just over.
1: I know. And even as teachers, we don't typically teach a kid, at least in English, we don't. Sometimes foreign language teachers teach kids from nine through 12, but Mm -hmm. we don't. Mm -hmm. You and I are are solidly junior and senior teachers. So we get them after they've been through the ninth and 10th grade curricula. And, you know, we don't. Maybe sometimes we get them as seniors after having them as juniors.
0: Yeah. And, but from what what you've told me, you keep in touch with a good amount of your students do, once they graduate yeah. from Gilman. I, I think that's pretty cool. And that's part of what makes I teaching do. fulfilling that yeah. I really haven't experienced much yet. Maybe, you know, maybe a little bit, but not I mean, not really.
1: But, but you will. Yeah. yeah. And that, yeah. I, that,
0: that's what I'm looking forward to is yeah. because when I started doing the podcast, I was talking a little bit about my 10th grade English teacher, Miss Nordzik, who. She she showed me the Scarlet Letter for the first time, and that I was already into writing in English, and I knew I I liked it. But reading the Scarlet Letter for the first time, for some reason, that book cl- clicked with me. I liked it a lot. Yeah, and I, I emailed her like out of the blue this summer. I was like, Miss, or earlier this year, maybe a month or two ago. I was like, Miss Nortzik, I mentioned your name on the podcast because I'm teaching the Scarlet Letter. Oh, that's so you sh- great. You should come down to Baltimore. You know, it's not too far of a drive and once COVID's over and talk about it. And that's like, you know, I haven't talked to her in what, six years, seven years, maybe more. Yeah. So I think I think that's the coolest part maybe about teaching and coaching and staying connected uh, when when students come back and you can reconnect.
1: And knowing what they're doing and and when they're successful. And uh, I mean, I've had a few that have gone out to to be, um, you know, done a lot of writing in college and um in fact i'm i'm writing a recommendation letter now for a kid i taught a long long time ago he wants to go to he wants to get his mfa in fiction writing and i'm super proud of him then now and you know i'm so happy to you know still be a part of his his education in a small way because i'm just writing a letter saying this guy is awesome Mm -hmm. and you should take him into your program Um, but kids who have gone on to, to work in the theater and that's so exciting. Yeah. For you. Yeah. right, Yeah.
0: Because you, I mean, you really introduced it to them and you showed them what it's all about and what it takes, you know?
1: Maybe I did a little bit, you know, but it was their, their talent is what really takes them. Yeah. And their interest. And and their interest and and their love for it. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, I always think I play a a small part because they do the work
0: you know yeah you're just playing on their natural instincts and trying to enhance just
1: urging them towards towards you know developing what what I see that they have yeah mm.
0: were there people like that for you maybe in terms of writing or teaching or you know oh yeah who who really yeah. made an, an impact on you that you think oh. about often
1: oh yes yeah i mean i think i think when you're a teacher I mean, it's just like you were saying. Mm-hmm. We're so aware of our old teachers, our older teachers, and, and what they did for us.
0: But not at the time. Really. I mean, not not too much at the time. It's more of a retrospective, at least in my case. Mm-hmm. Like, when I came out of high school, I was like, oh, I, I did love the Scarlet Letter. I did love that oh, class. Oh, you didn't know at
1: the time? You didn't feel like you Well,
0: I totally knew at the time, but not maybe to the degree as... Was the case in looking back and saying, you know, because when you I've said this before, but like when you reread and you look back at things and you think about how what might have influenced me to do this or study this or, you know, appreciate this author. It was that teacher that just gave it to me, you know, in eighth grade or said something to me like my fifth grade teacher said, you're a pretty good writer. I don't. you don't know anything in fifth grade, you're still like not even fully not even half formed you're just trying to figure out
1: what's for lunch right and but those words have impact at any age, yeah,
0: I yeah. Mean,
1: that's the power of being a teacher, which I think you must caretake very very carefully mm-hmm. but um it's very powerful to be told when you're young you have the ability to do this and know that and you know that they mean it and that mm-hmm. they've seen something in you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's powerful when it happens and it's, it's powerful to be able to do it later in life to, to really say to, to a young person, I see something in you that I think you've got and I want you to do well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Let me help you kind of hone that skill. And so you can succeed.
0: Was there, was there a teacher for you that told you you should continue to write or was that really just on your own? You loved it. You wanted to continue with it. Or was there was there someone or some people who said, John, you've got a talent here. Stick with this.
1: Yeah. And sometimes in indirect ways. Right. I mean, I, I knew in third grade, my teacher, Mrs. Pick, thought I was a good writer and, and, and a good actor. And she would have me read Sometimes when she got tired of reading to the class, she would ask me to get up and read. Third grade. In third grade, because she knew I would take on the character voices and and <laughs> right. So and I knew she, you know, must have seen something. I mean, I, I thought that was kind of cool that she asked me mm-hmm. um to to do that. And and yeah, I mean I It definitely I mean, made an impact. It did. I mean, I knew she she let me know that she knew I could do certain things that she wasn't asking other kids to do, hmm. right?
0: One thing I was interested in talking to you about is um, constructing a short story. And I know you've written short stories, and you have a lot of experience teaching short story writing. I'm I'm teaching great short fiction in the spring, which I'm excited about. And I'm oh, still, I want to
1: come be in your class. Yeah,
0: I'm still choosing some things, but oh, I, cool. I have a lot to learn. And in terms yeah. of in terms of constructing a short story. How did you, how did you learn that process or fall into that process or like, what What did it take for you to, to create a perfect short story well, in your mind? Well, I
1: don't, mind? I don't think I've ever created a perfect short story. There's no such thing as perfect writing, really, <laughs> no, but. Still working on it. But, um, I mean, I think, you know, it's just from having been a reader so early, I mean, I if you're that interested in something and it speaks to you that deeply, you really do, you know, kind of osmos the lessons um, in ways that you don't even know you, you're doing, right? It just it just goes into the mechanism and it's available to you when you say, okay, I'm, now I want to write, I'm going to do this. And then you've got, and then, but it took other teachers and I'm even talking into my adult life teachers to recognize it and say, you know, yeah, this is, this is good. And, or you need to pursue this. Um, so in terms of constructing a, a perfect story, I don't, I mean, I think you have to go with your, if you get a spark about a story, you you just start writing. And I tell fiction students, don't edit yourself, just write it. You can always revise something. Getting the first draft out is is paramount and the most difficult thing. I love revising. I love rewriting. It's the first draft that's that's tough.
0: But when you get a spark about something, yeah. You I mean, you don't really see like where the whole story goes and what the end is and what maybe the like core essence of the story is. You just have
1: sometimes you do. Eudora no, I mean... Welty did. I think Eudora sort of always knew where she was heading. Mm. I think Shirley Jackson knew where she was heading with the lottery too.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I don't know. I don't think you, she could have written that story. If she hadn't known what that ending was going to be. That's true, right? That I mean, that's true. I'm sure. She, I'm sure there are interviews. I don't know. She famously didn't talk about it. Um, I think to what her correct.
0: process was like. That movie about her was. It was
1: yeah, I, I interesting. I didn't really know. Uh, well, you know, she movie. wrote. She wrote the lottery very quickly. She lived in Bennington, Vermont, where I went to graduate school. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Bennington MFA yeah. program. Yeah, um, and and she was pushing her child through the town square. Right there's a you know, town square, and she's got this idea. Of what if it's always starts with what if? Mm. She went home and wrote it like I mean pretty quickly, two days, three days, something like that. Wow. I, and how she got to... And I won't spoil the ending for anybody who's never read The Lottery, though you should read The Lottery. I think, I think we can spoil the ending because I want... No, I don't, I don't believe in spoiling endings. I really? Think, well, yeah, there's somebody out there who hasn't read The Lottery and they should have that experience without knowing it. But um, it, it, it's a very shocking ending and and yet it's an, she earns it. She earns it because she's scattered clues throughout the story that hide in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And until you... Go back and look at it, you go, oh, How could I have missed that? Well, you missed it because Shirley Jackson is brilliant at at hiding something in front of your eyes and you don't know what it means or what it is.
0: Well, she has all the other clues that make it sound like a bright and sunny and gorgeous.
1: Yeah, it's yes, she grass she, is green. I know, yeah, Scott, she deceives you.
0: Everyone's gathering, and you know, it's a great June, more June, yes. right? June morning, yes. We just got done discussing that. Um,
1: oh, it's amazing.
0: So can we, I mean, can we talk about it? It, it? Can we just say it's a spoil alert and then talk about
1: it? If you want to reveal the ending, one of the all-time greatest endings, of one of the all-time greatest stories ever, that's on you, sir. I'm not going to be on record I think, ruining the lottery for the great unwashed who have not read it.
0: Well, I do I, I do want to ask you about your interpretation of the story and what, what like, what you think it is all about because we just got done discussing that in my junior english class and <laughs> and i had some really i mean i had some really strong responses after the boy the boys read it for the first time mm-hmm. um, so i think i mean i think we can say you know if you haven't read the lottery definitely read it Pu- push, push pause it will take you probably 15 minutes to read and then resume
1: this is on you scott okay <laughs> so
0: um what 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 do you think that story's all about? It's it's
1: incredible. Well, I mean, I th- I, mean, I think it's about the way human beings treat each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I think it's about ritual. I think it's about...
0: We did talk about traditions tradition. and the traditions mm-hmm. that we have that we don't really think about or consider. Yeah. You know, even Thanksgiving, for for instance, we read it right after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, I mean, we, we kill a bunch of turkeys, put them on the... <laughs> You Know, yeah, dining room table, invite all our guests over. It's well, just uh, th- odd traditions are.
1: I, I think, I think she's w- warning against um the unchecked mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. you. Um, just because you have always done something one way, is that the way it should always be done, right? And, and we do get those places in in us that are unchecked. That we need to maybe go back and look at again and say, "I know I've always thought this,' always done this, I've always behaved about this in a certain way. I don't know should I evolve more should should I make a change here mm-hmm. and clearly the people in that town in that story they maybe need to evolve a little past what has been done for decades.
0: Yes, but I also think what is also masterful about it is that that the children are the ones that are introduced first, and the children are the ones who gather the the stones and the pebbles first, because they this is how they were just, this is the, we, do, ritual. It, we do it every year. This is what we do. All the adults are doing, Old Man Warner's doing it. Why would I ever even question it? Um, but that, I mean, I think that's the lesson. Even if you've been doing something as a child and raised in this environment with these rituals... Thinking about it on a deeper level—that's, I mean, that's what it's all about to me.
1: Right. And and you know, working in an independent school environment as as we do, um, I think there are a lot of long-held rituals and traditions. Um, they're not all bad, of course, of right? Of course not. There's, no. I mean, I I I think I'm a kind of a creature of tradition. I love I love ritual tradition. and tradition. Yeah. Um, but maybe now and then you need to take them out and look at them and dust them off and put them back in the deepest part of the drawer where they remain, right? Or 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 you just throw them out altogether and say, "I'm going to make a change here."
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, constantly questioning and yeah, having a discussion about it and looking at all aspects of whatever tradition, ritual, thing that you do on a daily basis, even oh yeah, you know um just reflection I think but but the other part of that story that I was maybe even more interested in is just the group mentality and yeah. like I raised this in my class and I don't I don't know if this is correct but it'd be cool cool to hear your perspective on are are the people in that town scared are they is there a fear that they can't speak out against this or raise a question because of such a large group and everyone's doing it or do they know it's wrong and and are scared to say something, or is this just what they do and they don't question it? Because I think that mob group mentality is a part of it too.
1: I think there. Are, I think she gives you some hints of that in the story. I I think she doesn't come down too hard on. Certainly not a moral. Um, she was you know far too crafty of a writer to to leave it at that. Like mm-hmm. and now here's what right. the moral of my story. She never would have done that. Um, but I think, I think a great story is always, um, you know, I said to my class just today, cause we are reading another seminal work for me, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Um, and I said something to them and I hadn't planned to say this, it just sort of emerged from our conversation that ultimately you're the one who owns a work of fiction, right? It's, we can talk about it as a group and we can read it out loud together but you're all experiencing it very very uniquely and individually as you should mm-hmm. so you own your own experience of reading our town or or a capote story or the lottery mm-hmm. um and that's what's fun about english class we share our different feelings about it yeah
0: and even as a teacher that's why it's fun because i've read the lottery 10 times but yeah. i my students responses that they submitted to me i was learning more about the story and things i didn't
1: notice that's the greatest thing about teaching is is when they change your opinion of something you have thought you knew the the ins and outs of forever that's the best part of it and i like it when they maybe
0: not disagree with me but say mr scott i saw it a different way i like that yeah
1: Yeah, it's great i mean Uh, oh yeah I'm,
0: i'm not a master of shirley jackson's lottery i enjoyed it i i mean as dark it is i enjoyed how she made me look at something like that and something that's relevant to my life and the world
1: and it's relevant to everybody's life yeah. to
0: the country yeah. and just oh, human yeah. nature and yes yes i'm i'm not a master of what she was trying to say in that story but i like hearing your thoughts on it and I like hearing a 16-year-old's thought on on it because totally He knows something that I don't know about it.
1: Absolutely. And it's all the perspectives that they bring, right? Um, I mean, I think that's the thing about teaching is I think sometimes they think you're the authority. And they really look to you to be the authority. And that's a lovely, kind gesture. But I want to kind of always disavow them of thinking of me like, I mean, I just... I just want us to talk about it and share our thoughts and feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. hard to do because, I mean, the the dynamic of teacher and student is, is kind of set up to be we're in charge of the class and we're saying what the content is and we're grading your papers. We're giving and you we're, homework. We're giving you homework. We're the quote-unquote authority figure and and mechanically, I guess that's true, but in the classroom, I really, I, I want to create a more of a level playing field because mm-hmm. their opinions really do matter to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always saying, I never thought about that. You know, I'm always reading something a kid's writing mm-hmm. and saying, I never thought about that.
0: Right. Well, especially in, in English, maybe... Maybe it's more and I don't know anything about teaching like physics, but no. I would maybe be more of an authority figure having studied all this physics and know the you know, ins and outs and the black and white of of a math problem. But in English, I'm definitely not. I mean, I just want to create the atmosphere so you feel comfortable saying, Mr. Scott, I looked at that from the total opposite Perspective, and that's totally okay. Yeah, and that's that might be one of the hardest (laughs) parts to get through to students is there's no like black or white answer. There's no true or false answer in this conversation. I know. I know. Hopefully, you can defend what you're saying, not defend it, but like have some evidence from the actual text so we can see what you're talking about. But other than that, there's no there's no right or wrong answer.
1: Yeah, just tell me why you feel that way. Don't just say something and and leave it there. Say, uh, great. What made you say that? What made you feel that way?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And just dig deep on your own opinions.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I know. But
0: that I don't know. I don't know why that is. But it seems like when students come into eleventh grade English, just in my experience, it's like they think there's one right or wrong answer. I have to just totally chop that down
1: yeah I know. it just um, might
0: be the instinct
1: and they also want to please you, you you know and i and that's also that's i i know i wanted to do that badly when i was a kid and in being in classes but um i want them to have their own aesthetic and their own opinions and thoughts and mm-hmm. um when they really are convicted about how they feel about something then I'm pleased, right? Because then they are working from their own points of view and not just parroting, you know, what they've read some scholar has written or, or what I've said or, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the thing. You just really want them to think independently about all of this work.
0: And do exactly what I think the lottery to some degree teaches is Think critically about it, you know think separate uh, yeah. yourself from the group and right. think on your own and say what what are we doing here? What is this all about what's my actual true opinion on this mm-hmm. what's right what's wrong i mean what, is, what does it mean to me?
1: I had a kid we were talking about our town and 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 he said you know i i I've never lived in a small town, so I'm trying to figure out how this is about me he said, but i'm Starting to see how it can be, and so i have you know, I've, we've talked about the universality of it and how that, how the specificity of Grover's Corners, New Hampshire, actually is 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 the key to opening it up to to the universal. Hmm. Um, it's a lot to sort of talk about, but um, I, and I said to them, it's you, no matter who you are or where you come from, or what you think, or what you do, you are in this play. Everybody is in this play, because it's not called Grover's Corners. It's not called their town. It's called our town. Mm-hmm. And just the very title alone is, is inclusive. Um, and of course, it's been performed in every corner of the world. Mm-hmm. So it speaks to, to anyone and everyone, no matter the culture or the background and and i want them to find themselves in this play mm-hmm. and I, I think they will i mean we've we've really just done act 1 so i think by the time they get to that very sad third act is when they will start to understand but you know talk it's very hard to talk to 16 year olds about mortality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and part of me doesn't really want to <laughs> talk to them about Mortality, because I'm not sure I thought much about it when I was 16. No way.
0: I mean, I was trying to talk to my group about the soul. What? What is the soul? Oh yeah. Today and Walt Whitman, and uh, it's just a tricky subject because when when I was 16, I was thinking about Ravens game. I
1: know. (laughs) But but I think it seeps in. I mean, definitely does. I think that they they do they do get it, and um, maybe they don't want to dwell on it. I didn't. I didn't either, but um, the older you get, the, the this play changes on you. I mean, I remember when I read it when I was like 14 or, or 15, and I mean, I had a very different experience of it then. I had a 15-year-old's experience of it, which is how it should be. And I'm aware that, you know, I'm having my own new experience with it every time I teach it, but mostly my experience with teaching our town it sort of goes through their experience of it when they share what they think. And then I'm sort of taken back to the 16-year-old I was reading our town
0: mm. So
1: it's kind of, um, it's interesting, because I, mean, I, know, I know this text so well and this place so well that what I'm really interested in is seeing how they interpret it mm-hmm. and what they, what they take from it. And some of them really get the the mortality aspect of it. Some of them kind of resist it. You know, but everything that happens in this play is going to happen to them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Everything. Um, right.
0: If it wasn't universal, it wouldn't survive the test of time and even be even right. considered to be taught. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you're exact. You're exactly right. It depends on when the stories hit you. It could hit you at the perfect time when you're 15 or 16. It could hit you at the perfect time when you're older. I mean, it just yeah. oh, just yeah. depends on. Where you are in your life when when a work of literature hits you, completely. How often do you re- read on read on your own? Like, what are you what are you reading right now, just on the side from the things that you're teaching? Are you picking anything up? Um, oh, I, know, I, I, I know I have such a strange reading habit. Like, I'll pick something up, read it, be really invested in it, put it down for a second, and all of a sudden I'll f- see something in the library and it's restarting.
1: Well, I just I. You know, I'm a chronic book buyer, oh, and same. I just I just have a have stacks yeah. of things that I, mean, I just can't stop buying them. A, I want to support writers, you know. So, but mm-hmm. but I also think I will eventually get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know.
0: Yeah, I have the same same habit. Can't go into Barnes and Noble. Right.
1: No, it's uh, but you know I mean as English teachers we are reading for our work so much Mm -hmm. right even though reading for pleasure you could say that's also part of what we do but it sometimes it's hard to after you've studied what you're going to teach the next day and reread it and reread it and and looked up things and looked at your old notes and everything that's what I always do and um then I just kind of want to you know turn on netflix but uh yes if there's even time at the end of the night Mm -hmm. to do that because you've graded and you've read and yeah uh, you know
0: yeah yeah sometimes you don't want to pick up another book you've been looking at text all day and kind of different medium or right something else music netflix yeah change it up
1: yeah you've been grading you've been reading student work sometimes just reading one more thing is like oh
0: you do much read? I'm sure you do a lot of reading in the summertime. That's I do. When you, when, you, yeah. when you get a lot done. And
1: well, you know, after um, when we left last spring, I've I did more reading from March to to September than mm-hmm. I had done in years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was. I found books to be even more of a sanctuary than I had. I mean, as a kid, books were a sanctuary to me. They were an escape for me because I was that kid. I didn't want to go on the playground, but I wanted to be in the library and read mm-hmm. protective sanctuary, all those things. I found that to be true last spring because it was so scary and it was such a new new territory that we were all in. And I, you know, never lived through anything like that. We're still living through it, right? Um really are. And and so I found books to be incredibly valuable.
0: Yeah,
1: maybe in a I mean, new way.
0: kind of luck lucky that we love to read. And you know, when we were in lockdown, I remember I was at my house. It was like this isn't so bad. I could just knock out some of the stack that I have sitting here of my Barnes and Noble books. But oh um, yeah, yeah. I mean, for other people, they like what do I do? I'm bored out of my mind.
1: I know. Um, yeah, you're right. I was, I was really glad I had that.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what have you found to be in terms of virtual teaching and this hybrid model? Have you kind of found anything that's worked really well for you in, in the classroom with with the students that people might be able to incorporate into their English classes or, or, or their classes?
1: Oh, I don't think I'm an expert. I'm. I mean, I was just so grateful to be able to learn how to Sort of do it, you know. I mean, I had never heard of Zoom.
0: Canvas, Zoom.
1: Yeah, last last March. I remember asking Madeline, our colleague, who was here last year. I said, because she was in the office across from me. And I said, what is, th- I keep hearing about this thing, Zoom. What What is Zoom? Isn't is that it- like Skype? Wow, I can't you know,
0: even imagine the day I hadn't heard of Zoom. It's, it's
1: ubiquitous now. Every day. It's, it's where, it's all we do. And somebody was saying the other day on TV, after the pandemic is over, what's going to happen to Zoom? Right? Is is Zoom going to be like a relic of a of a period of time?
0: Well, I was saying there. I don't know. Hmm. No, I think I think people are going to use Zoom all, all the time still. Maybe not. I mean, obviously not as much, but yeah. Like, there's never going to be another snow day, which people don't
1: really. There's think some, about. I know. No, I thought about that. I, honestly, I, I really. I had that thought before anybody else had that
0: thought. Did you? you're, know you're claiming did. that. I'm
1: absolutely claim <laughs> getting the patent on that thought because I remember thinking, I think in late March, I was like, we were starting doing the Zoom and the Zoom classes, and I was like, okay, oh wait a minute, this means that on a snow day we could go on Zoom. Snow days have just died.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: I was the first person to think of that.
0: That's amazing. I did not know that. You, why, why didn't you tell me that? I, I well, think... I was
1: holding out for bigger money. <laughs> you know? so. um, but ja- you're right. And that's, you know, is that such a bad thing? I used to worry that I lost time, class time, yeah. because we couldn't come to school for snow. Of course, now it never snows anymore. Yeah, it so, really does. I was saying that today. I right, mean, as cold when, as
0: it is here in Baltimore today, yeah, it's not it's not even close to snowing. I
1: don't yeah. even remember we haven't had a snow day here in two, two years. We didn't
0: have one last year, yet. Yeah, three been, years.
1: Three years, says says Cesare. Three years, he would know. Yeah. Not just that. Wow. Yeah, I I yeah. Wow. Oh well. But you know it's true though. It used to put you way behind in class, the kids didn't care, but you cared. Well, cause you lose those 80 minutes and and, and you might even lose a whole, like part of a unit or something. And, and you know, when you plan, that's kind of a little seismic there to lose that much teaching time, but.
0: Yeah, I've been, I've been less kind of, I don't know if this is good or bad, but less concerned about planning too much yeah, during this really time. It's kind of, I'm kind of just on a working schedule. It's like, all right how are these, how are these guys doing? Are they zoomed out? Can they take another assignment? Like what's the length of the reading? I need to give them. There's, there's not a similar blueprint as I've had in the past couple of years. It's more just reading them and, you know, trying to, trying to figure out, trying to read the room a little bit, I guess.
1: You know, I kind of feel like kids have gotten better at reading and doing homework in the pandemic. I remember thinking in, in last spring, they were really doing the work that I was asking them to do. And they were showing up to Zoom class, ready to talk, and I was sort of like, you know, suddenly, this is hard to believe, but English class is an alleviation to to boredom. Hmm. And I'll take that, right? I'll I'll make it as fun as I can make it. Mm-hmm. But it kind of was for me too. I mean, I really looked forward to classes because those days were long. Those long, amorphous, shapeless days. You didn't know what day it was. Time changed. Everything changed. It was a crazy time. I know. Um, so so I I felt like they really, because they weren't, you know, high school kids are, are famously over-programmed and our kids for sure are. Mm-hmm. And they weren't rushing to to in you know rehearsals or practice or you know all mm-hmm. of these things club practices everything i mean their world kind of shrank
0: yeah and, and the, as I everyone needs too. structure and yeah. those 80 minutes or whatever every day where it's english class it's okay now i know when to wake up i know when to right. log on to zoom yeah. i know what i need to do right after i can i have time to make it as good as i can yeah. So. And they were
1: anxious to be with one another too. I
0: think so. Um, so. I think still they are, and the yeah. guys that I had in my class today, we were doing. I was. I'm continuing to try to get them to, like, refresh themselves and have some like gratitude for the situation as crappy as as it is at at times. So we do a little gratitude at the beginning of class, just thinking about. What are some things that are that are going oh, well today? Nice. What's good? Yeah. You know, maybe it's one delight. Maybe it's a small thing, like your your coffee tasted good or whatever. You had, you had oh, that's bacon, cool. egg, and cheese this yeah. morning. So I I found that, I just started it really this week, but just sharing that with each other, it's like, all right, that sets a positive tone. Yeah, even that's though a it,
1: good thing to
0: do. Yeah, like that. Even though it's 8 a.m., like, you know, we're on a screen again. cold out, whatever it is. I mean, look at all the things. It's amazing that we can just send our pixels to each other and still learn about Walt Whitman today. It's it's an amazing thing. How does that happen? How how would they have done this in 20 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago? How would they have had school? What would would, I mean, they wouldn't. I
1: I know I've thought about this so much. Like we really should be grateful for, for these things that have allowed us to keep going. I mean, I know it's not ideal, and and it's cost a a lot of people a lot of things. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a lot easier with high school kids to teach online than it has been for Mm -hmm, younger kids. For sure. And those teachers, I mean, they're heroes. My hat is so off to to teachers in the lower school and, and the lower grades because I think that's really, really challenging yeah i think it's just maybe
0: just learning a new skill set for whatever age level you're trying to teach to because if you know if i was teaching fifth grade i i mean first of all i i don't know what i would do but i would have to develop a whole new way of getting fifth graders to buy in and think about what i'm what i'm giving them than i would for an 11th grader who already has some of that motivation and
1: it would really? probably be nothing that we're doing now with eleven and twelfth grade. No way, no way. I don't, I don't think anything we, we're doing now would work with fifth grade. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I wouldn't. I'm much. I'm well suited to what I teach and to the age I teach. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, but the middle school teachers—they're amazing because they—they always say, "I don't know how you, how you teach the upper school. I don't know how you do that." I'm like, "Well, I don't. How do you teach a, a 11, eleven, twelve-year-old? I, I, I wouldn't know how to do." that
0: and people i mean people say that to us too who don't teach like, that's right yeah. our teachers doing it right now and now that we're used to it it's not a big it's not really a big deal it's just yeah you know
1: somehow i i don't know i've just sort of been able to adapt what i i think i did successfully in the classroom and and somehow make it make it work and mm-hmm. and and again it just goes back to put something that's really good in front of of their eyes and it will it will do its its own thing for them um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah
0: just to you're just giving them what you love and you're bringing your passion to it even though it's on a screen it still comes across um
1: yeah yeah.
0: but it's been it's definitely been a journey it's been challenging it Um, has yeah it's amazing how quickly high school and everyone really has adapted to the situation. Now it's like going to market. You just put your mask on, you leave, you know, it, Yeah. everyone's just figured it out. It's almost habit now
1: for, maybe not everybody, unfortunately. Yeah, but, but, um, certainly in our environment here, I think, I think, um, the students have been, been really great about, about it and, and, you know, it's good to be young and and adaptable. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. Um, and I think that they have proved, proven that they really are mm-hmm. um yeah so
0: john it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure to oh, get wow. you on the podcast today thank you jake uh, yeah
1: I, I i'm really honored to be here thank you so much yeah it's been,
0: been been talking about it for a while but finally yeah. made it happen
1: i am so glad thank yeah.
0: you well thank you for coming on and great yeah air shake uh, air shake have a good yeah. rest of the week thank you sir i appreciate it